Hey everybody, welcome to But That's Just My Opinion, the podcast hosted by me, Matt Lanchip, where I interview people about any opinion they have on any topic of their choice. This week we have Rivers Langley. He's not part of my friend circle, but I met him a little while ago, and he's a nut fellow podcaster out here in Los Angeles. He's also a stand-up comedian, but he's coming on to talk country music this week and southern rock. Really enjoyed sitting down with Rivers this week and talking about country music. I've been growing more of an appreciation for it over the past few years. You'll hear that he has a very deep knowledge of country music, and he goes into the history of country for a little bit, and what is making country music today, and how things are really working out there, and it's a really fun time. So I noticed that I unintentionally made this month a music month. Three out of the five that I posted this month were all about music. So this is kind of, I'm just kind of dubbing this after the fact music month to start off the podcast. But following up next month, we're going to do sports month. So got some great stuff already lined up for that. And I think it's going to be really fun. So my opinion this week is about vinyl records. I started getting vinyl over this just this past Christmas when my wife got me a record player. And ever since then, I've just been really enjoying buying and collecting vinyl and kind of finding stuff. I've been really working on getting a bunch of stuff I already own on vinyl now because I wasn't collecting at the time when all these albums came out. So I've just been going back and getting a lot of that. But I've also got new releases and different things that I never really thought of before on vinyl now. And it's really been a fun experience for me. Part of the reason I really like vinyl is it gives you an appreciation for the entire album. So you can't just really skip around songs like you can on a CD or on your computer. You really have to sit down and you have to listen to the entire thing. Yeah, you can kind of find the point where you know that song's going to be and start from there. But it's really gotten me to listen to albums the entire way through. And every vinyl I've had, I have listened to the entire thing through at least once. And honestly, I really just enjoy it more that way. It makes you get a really a really greater appreciation for the music and understand why they did things in this. And, you know, they put albums in specific orders for, for reasons when it comes to the songs, and vinyl really makes sure you appreciate why they did that. Also, vinyl just sounds great. When you get, if you get a real nice player, you know, you got to get a setup for it. I have, I have a great player right now, but I know I could have a better one, but that costs lots of money, so that will come down the road. But for what I have, great starter one. I am super happy with it. But even just this one, I can tell how great the sound is. I know you got to get the 180 gram vinyls if you want it to sound the best. And I have a few of those, and they are fantastic. I am loving it. Just sound quality, being a musician myself, I really enjoy what I've been hearing out of it. Also, I'm kind of a collector of things. As I've mentioned before, I collect pop culture art, and I collect just random things here and there. Going to phases where I'm like, ooh, I need a bunch of these things. And so I kind of just start collecting different things. And over the years, I've collected a lot of different stuff. And vinyl has become one of the few things that I've collected that I continue collecting. And so it's really nice to have that physical copy in my hand. And it's really cool to get things that only come out on vinyl. And just from the whole collector side, there's really a lot that can go into it. And finding first presses and just finding different things that are really rare or something that's only a limited press. It's a lot of fun, especially when you get into the collecting side. So that's my opinion for the week, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Rivers about country music and southern rock. And since it's a musical one, we'll count it off with a one, two, one, two, three, four. Yeah, did you see that Bolo lineup? I did, yeah, with uh, Cody Rhodes oh, and so uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. Yeah. There's, there's no chance we're going. You realize that? There's, I'm going to try super Oh, I'm going to try. There's just no chance of you it You got to come with us and second act it. 
Yeah. What? Like what? Do people leave? And no, at intermission, just you sneak in. Yeah, because I don't check tickets going back in. Oh shit! That's, I didn't know that. That's how I saw you at All Star Weekend. Oh, you were. Oh, you just like snuck in. Yeah, we just walked in and. Oh, intermission. I actually got that. I paid for that ticket. <laughs> I know, <laughs> dude. We. I try to get it for the next show. Yeah. The, um. Whatever it is. What is the next uh, one? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, there we go. I try to get tickets for thirteen, but two minutes they were gone yeah i, I suspect bolo will be even faster oh uh, but it's three days so hopefully luckily enough we might get one yeah they'll they'll be up for a total of 60 seconds yeah all those it's, tickets it's absolutely insane what what do they do do they move is they, that the move i don't i think they should because of how popular they're getting yeah but at the same time when you go there there's such that's a the charm. Mag- the magic is the yeah it's the it's the the small space yeah it's what 375 people fit in that place right something like that something it's so small but so tiny. They at least fit about 450 every time probably. yeah 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 that and that's crowded as shit yeah yeah i mean i always just like stand up on the risers in the back yeah well my favorite move is when a guy gets up on the the turnbuckle and is going to do something off the top rope and they always look up to check their vertical clearance to see that they're not and there's no no human is going to hit the ceiling of that place, really. No. But it's so close that it, you you think you could almost. Yeah. yeah, you're like, if I jump out far enough, I might hit the light fixture or the beam. Yeah. which Mark Andrews or uh, did someone hit Mark the chandelier? It was um, shoot, who was it? Not who's the other Carolina boy? Not Trevor Lee. Oh, I know who you're talking about. What the hell's that um, guy's name? Andrew Everett. Oh, Andrew Everett. Andrew yeah. Everett hit one of the light fixtures. Okay, last so time. yeah, so you can hit the the chandelier, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I just definitely saw uh, Evan Bourne, Matt Seidel checking yeah. to make sure he wasn't gonna like <laughs> every time. Yeah, the him funny, and Puma both. Yeah, yeah, I mean the funniest is when you see like Drew Galloway up there. Oh um, yeah, that that motherfucker's huge. <laughs> so he shouldn't big. be up there. <laughs> no, what are you doing? This is a tiny venue. Yeah, but hello everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Today I got a guest of uh, my first non-friend on the podcast. Non-friend? We're, we're friends now. We're friends now, yeah. but from outside my friend circle. Yeah. Okay. So everyone listening will have no idea who you are except for me. Oh, okay. Uh, well, you know, you know, all thirty of them. <laughs> yeah. But uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Rivers Langley. He's from a podcast I listen to called Goods from the Woods. Yeah, my podcast is The Goods from the Woods, and I'm a stand-up comedian here in Los Angeles. Yeah, so I've been listening to him for a while, decided, hey, I'm doing this thing now, might as well check it out. Did you find me through Kyle's podcast? Is that... Yes, I did, because he mentioned... So Kyle Clark, another comedian here, has a podcast called This Is Rad. He mentioned it one week, check out this podcast, The Good from the Woods, started listening. So I was listening before you guys even came on for the wrestling episode. Yeah, because I think... Based on you know uh, the the niceness level of everybody who hits us up on Twitter, I'm like these have to be Kyle's fans. Like, the, yeah, the, the, no one's this nice. No no group of people is this awesome. So yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's cool, man. Yeah, I think that's how a lot of people have found our podcast, which is awesome. I'm more than willing to ride uh, uh, Kyle's generously long uh, coattails all the way to the top <laughs> and that podcast fame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. I actually stopped listening to Nerdist and just listen to him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to th- this is how hollywood is fucked with my brain i'm trying to think it would if it would be advantageous to talk shit about chris hardwick on a on a public forum i'm gonna just hold back but no, uh, i just got too many other ones and i decided to like his more that's true yeah so we'll go with that chris hardwick you're still great you'll it's never fine. listen to this but it's fine yeah just, yeah he'll never hear this we're fine. in hollywood we gotta cover our bases <laughs> right yeah of course of course yeah but yeah so today rivers he had two ideas he really wanted to discuss a was wrestling which we did a little bit in the beginning of yeah. this uh but the other was country music and southern rock yeah yeah so 
I guess first off, first off, you got me into Sturgill Simpson. Oh, is that right? Yeah, for through the podcast. Have you heard the new record? Oh, I got it. I pre-ordered it on vinyl. Man, man. I got to see him do that shit live <sighs> uh, for the first time ever. By the way, they they have the uh, KCRW, the studio down here in uh, Santa Monica. Uh-huh. Uh, the NPR station has their version of the Tiny Desk concerts, where they take over Apogee Studios and they fit pack in a hundred people in the studio. It's like a recording studio, and then they'll bring a band in, and normally the band will play three or four songs from their new album. They'll record it sturgill came in and was like hey man it's kind of like a song cycle like i need to play the whole thing if that's okay and everybody's like yeah sure we'd love it <laughs> no one's gonna complain on that and so i knew he was gonna be playing some songs but i walked in and saw this horn section on stage yeah. and i was like oh shit what's about that because i've seen him before and there were no horns you know it yeah. was great but it was not there weren't any horns i was like what's he about to do and then he played that new record and uh the record itself is great seeing it live for the first time it was real like you know, they did it perfectly, but it was still kind of rough around the edges. You yeah. know what I mean? In terms of a live performance. Uh, so I was just like, this dude just, you know, everybody told this guy he was the savior of country music. And then he went off and made an Otis Redding record. And I'm so <laughs> happy about it. Like Seriously. And, you know, half the songs, he wasn't even playing guitar. He was just like walking around the stage wearing his fucking Canadian tuxedo, like crooning into the mic and shit like he was Ray Charles. And I'm like, this is amazing oh that was fantastic mind-blowing and then afterwards uh because our friend billy wayne davis uh who was sturgill's opener sturgill like loves comedy and so he had this guy our friend from tennessee billy wayne davis go out and open for him in the entire meta modern like second half of that tour and uh so he actually came on our podcast and talked about that experience and had some fucking hilarious stories but as soon as billy wayne showed up in santa monica for that i was like oh dude we're getting backstage like yeah. i just knew it because they're homies i was like yeah we're gonna get to go back there so we got to go back and hang out with the band for a minute and first of all my friend charlie uh texted me i was like yo i'm going to see sergio tonight and he goes he told me that his cousin is their drummer oh, and, which wow. is funny because my friend is from kentucky so it just does nothing to dissuade the stereotype that all people from kentucky are related uh <laughs> but he was like yeah that guy's like a drummer he's this amazing he's like 22 his name's uh, miles miller and he's a, just a fucking beast on the drums he plays on all of uh i think the two most recent of sturgill's records okay he's the drummer and uh so i already kind of had an in there and then as soon as billy wayne walked up i was like oh yeah we're, we're gonna go get to meet this dude and uh i heard sturgill simpson say the coolest sentence i have ever heard a human being say and in that like deep like kentucky drawl was so great where somebody offered him a joint and he goes uh, he's like hey man you want to smoke and, and sturgill goes uh <laughs> he's like uh no nah, my voice man i can't be puffing flowers i got conan in the morning <laughs> i was like <laughs> Dude, I can't be puffing flowers. I got Conan in the morning is the coolest thing any human has ever said. And in that voice with that, just that dude is so cool. I was like, he's the coolest dude ever. So that is fantastic. Yeah. So he was really, yeah, he was a really nice guy. Really, uh, really generous. We talked about Weird Al. That is fantastic. So first, let's get into what you define as country music and uh, Southern rock. Because obviously yeah. there's everyone can try to claim to be into that yes but what do you consider well so this is this is like an opinion podcast right so my 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 i guess thesis statement my opinion is that and this is like probably the thing i have to defend to no one's amusement more than anything else (laughs) uh my just undying love of real true Mm -hmm. country music uh, the way I define it country is uh it's a genre that's big enough to include lots and lots of things much like rock and roll but essentially, uh, country music is uh, sort of the sort of the marriage of what they call mountain music, 
Uh, so that would be Appalachian, bluegrass, old-timey music, uh, which comes very much from an Irish tradition. And uh, a lot of uh, Scottish and Irish people who immigrated to the mountains of the South often referred to as the Scotch-Irish, brought with them uh, the mandolin uh, from, from Old World Europe. They brought uh, you know, the guitar, stuff like that. They added in the banjo, which is actually an African instrument, uh, which was already you know, on, on the North American continent at the time, and uh, sort of cooked it up into a stew, brought, it, brought along their English folk ballads, uh, and also murder ballads, which are something I really love. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, you get all that together, isolate it for a couple of hundred years in a very kind of hard to leave region of the country, that yeah. being the Appalachian Mountains in between Virginia, down even as far into Alabama, Tennessee, where I'm from. And uh, yeah, so that's your mountain music. You take that, you combine it with uh, Delta music, the blues, you get, you know, the black music uh, from Louisiana. Uh, and where those things kind of meet, where they come together uh, is places along the Mississippi River, port cities like Memphis, uh you know, and eventually you go all the way up to a place like Chicago. And, uh, you know, the, the marriage of those two things becomes rock and roll eventually. The, yeah. the marriage of mountain music and blues music uh, becomes rock and roll. But, but right before that is where you get your country music. So you're, you know, 1920s, uh, sort of the beginning, the popularity of, of country music sort of evolves out of uh, basically it, it, comes, it becomes popular at the same exact time recorded music becomes popular. Because now, because yeah, and it worked out perfect because now you have a genre that was previously only known to locals. You know, people if you lived there, you know, you knew somebody like, oh yes, old so and so plays plays his uh you know his mountain music up on the porch every Saturday. We go listen. Suddenly, you know, record people were sent out by the Library of Congress during the Great Depression because they were just handing out jobs to people. People had to you know had to find work. So FDR put like recorders in people's hands. Like I don't know, go record music right go record stories go record stuff and it's something that our country doesn't put enough of a an emphasis on anymore which is like oh yeah this is a an endangered tradition like go record this before it goes away so the reason we have a lot of these great uh you know things like charlie pool uh who was an old-time banjo picker doc boggs people like that was because you had people like alan lomax who was famously the guy who recorded Lead Belly, you know, recorded a lot of blues musicians. His same operation was also in, operating in Appalachia, recording all of these uh, kind of old-timey guys before they died, you know. And those became what they called hillbilly records. Um, mm-hmm. And those were sold alongside the black records, which they called race records. So old blues records, people like Sunhouse, Robert Johnson, people like that were being sold alongside Charlie Poole and, you know, the Carter family and eventually Jimmy Rogers. Uh, and you have this sort of very influential recording session that takes place in Bristol, Tennessee, uh, back in 1929, where a guy named Ralph Peer, who's a dude from New York, uh, basically, for whatever reason, the record company that he was working for, they were like, we are selling a shit ton of country records right now. Like, go down, find us some new talent. So he puts out an ad in the paper in Bristol. And Bristol, Tennessee, by the way, uh, is it's at the intersection of Tennessee, Virginia, and I think West Virginia, like all three of those states come together right at Bristol. Oh, wow. so that's just like a perfect meeting point for everyone to just so come it's in. right in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. So you had people coming in for days, you know, answering this ad where you would just have people coming through. And the two groups that came out of that session that everybody knows or that, you know, whether you know it or not, you know them uh, sort of set the trajectory for the dichotomy that that is country music. So the two biggest recording artists to come out of Ralph Pierce's first session uh, were the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers. Okay. So the Carter family, 
is the family that Johnny Cash eventually married into. Uh, June, Carter June Carter was the daughter of Mother Maybell. So the the original three members of the Carter family are A.P. Carter. He is the uh, he was the songwriter. Uh, couldn't sing a fucking note, but he could write a <laughs> hell of a song. Uh, you had Mother Maybell who played guitar, and then you had Sarah Carter who was A.P.'s wife who sang backup. So A.P. and Maybell sang lead. Sarah sang backup, uh, and or AP sometimes sang backup too. Uh, but they are their songs that you're gonna know are like "I'll Fly Away," um, you know, "Will the Circle Be Unbroken?" Uh, do you know these songs? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not as well versed in like deep country history, right? Uh, but these are like if you've seen "Oh Brother Where Art Thou," yeah, "Oh Brother Where Art Thou." They took a lot of their songs and sort of meshed them into. You know, when you have like the George Clooney's daughters and they're singing in the highways, yeah. in the hip. That is a, that's a that's a Carter family song. OK, so they took a, a lot of that English tradition, that Irish tradition, uh, kind of mixed it up with gospel music. And a lot of their songs are very religious. You know, they're very about, you know, uh, being on the straight and narrow, making it uh, to heaven. Right. A lot of songs back. I mean, a lot of music started as oh, is, religion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But. There, that was that was their thing. Was you know we're all going to be together in the by and by, right? So that's them. Put that off to the side. That's one half of country music. You got the other half of country music, which is all about hard living, drinking, <laughs> murder, rambling around, cheating on your lady, like all that, just getting into trouble. You know, it's the two it's the two faces of the genre. The Carter family definitely being the Sunday morning, and then you got over here. Mr. Saturday Night, Jimmy Rogers, right? <laughs> That's what they say about country music. Country music is the delicate balance of Saturday night and Sunday morning. So you've got that, like, the troublemaking side, and you've got the, the straight and narrow. Uh, and Jimmy Rogers was called the Sing and Break Man uh, because he hung out on the backs of trains, literally, like, hopped around during the Depression. He and, you know, uh, they never, I, as far as I know, they didn't really have any, any like, uh, they didn't really meet up, but Woody Guthrie uh, okay. being around the same time period. I don't think they ever, they might have collaborated way later on when they were both kind of famous, but mm-hmm. during their actual rambling days, I don't think they ever met up, but he was definitely part of that thing where it was just like, all right, well, I, somebody said there was a job in Chicago. I guess I'm going to just jump on this moving train and try not to get my leg chopped off while I do it. <laughs> Seriously. And uh, Jimmy Rogers sang the blues, you know, and you listen to Jimmy Rogers and he sounds like a black guy. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting because later that became kind of the thing with Elvis. They're like, oh, if we could find a white, you know, uh, Sam Phillips, his famous quote, if I could find a white man that sounded like Junior Parker, I'd be a millionaire. And then all of a sudden, Elvis Aaron Presley walks in the door and you've got, you got, you got your wish. You He's know? a millionaire. <laughs> He's a millionaire. Exactly. Uh, he, uh, but Jimmy Rogers was very much the same thing. He is considered to be the guy who brought the black man's blues to, to a white audience because mm-hmm. people didn't, you know, this was going on. You had your son house, Lonnie Johnson, Robert Johnson, uh, you know, Skip James. You had all these amazing blues musicians down in the Mississippi Delta that black audiences were very, very familiar with uh, just because of the way radio was back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you send off a radio signal from New Orleans and you could hear that shit all the way up in St. Louis and Memphis. Oh, things wow. like that. On that a sh- far. Oh, on an AM. And a, yeah. And an AM broadcast on a clear, cold night. You can I mean. You know, if you listen to it here, you know, there's the there's the there's the uh, the wall of voodoo song about it, Mexican radio. You know, you can yeah. hear it coming over the border here, which is how a lot of like kind of California country, you know, country Western stars started, inf- you know, getting mariachi influences is because they could hear that shit at night on the radio. <laughs> People are like, what the fuck is this? You know, it's how That's you end awesome. up with like a mariachi session on, you know, Johnny Cash singing, uh, you know, Ring of Fire. You've got yeah. the. 
That's it's just because you could hear weird shit on AM radio late at night. That's, I've never tried that before. I gotta try that. Oh yeah, I used to listen to uh, uh, Des Moines, Iowa had like a pretty good AM station that I could hear for all the way from Alabama. Oh on, wow! In the winter, uh, and it has something to do with the ionosphere. So when it's you know when it's cold out, there's less interference, and mm-hmm. so radio signals travel farther. So on a clear cold night, you can hear a an AM station, you know, hundreds of miles away. Um, but, uh, yeah, Jimmy Rogers, uh, the songs that he did, uh, that you might know, I mean, the thing he added to country music that is, uh, sadly kind of died out, I think, especially in mainstream, that is like one of my favorite things is the yodeling. Uh, so Jimmy Rogers apparently, and this is like how weird stuff happens like this, apparently went to a carnival, like a traveling circus thing he was on a stop somewhere out in the you know in the midwest hopped off the train was like hey there's a circus in town and one of the attractions was they had some swiss yodelers so they had you know as some, a circus should yeah just as a weird side attraction just the guys the the ricola ricola like doing that <laughs> shit yeah. like doing the you know the german version of that which is this you know it's set to a polka beat so like that kind of beat but you've got those guys going and jimmy rogers was like, I think I could do that. So he started adding it in to all of his songs. So we go, Oh, that's where yodle-y. that comes from. Yeah, so you like if you like, Oh brother, where art thou? He's in the jailhouse now. He's yeah. in the, and then they go, Yodley. Like that's mm-hmm. a that's Jimmy that is Jimmy Rogers. That's just a weird dude who was like, Oh, here's a weird thing I can do. That's awesome. I can yodel. So he throws all of that into into the mix, but Jimmy Rogers was the heart was definitely the hard drinking playboy, you know, scruffy rogue uh, to the Carter family's sort of you know all bibled up as they say. I mean, you got to have the two to meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, exactly. Which is pretty much now we kind of got the history kind of going into what. Obviously, there's today's kind of country music. Oh, we can get to that. <laughs> we'll is, get we'll get to that. Okay, so now we got the history of country music. What yeah. about Southern rock? Okay, so Southern rock is a weird term. It's actually more of a marketing term because rock and roll uh, is inherently Southern. Yeah. <laughs> rock and roll is the merger of two racial and, and, and geographic groups in the South coming together. Yeah. You know, it's, it's R&B, rhythm and blues. Uh, so you have, uh, you know, you have the blues element of it coming from the Mississippi Delta. You got the rhythm element coming from, uh, you know, New Orleans, jazz music, things like that. And then you've also got the country element, which comes into play with mainly with the rhythm section. So mm-hmm. if you listen to like old Chuck Berry records, Maybelline, his bass lines are bluegrass bass lines. Because in it. bluegrass, your bass line, you're playing two notes. You're going boom, 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 boom and that's it. And if yeah. you listen to Maybelline, Maybelline, boom, 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 boom. Why can't you be true? Boom, 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 boom. It's just a, it's a totally a bluegrass bass line. So the term Southern rock is, you know, people use it as a sort of catch all for a bunch of good, good to great music. And then a bunch of dastardly shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. With Southern rock. I mean, you know, t- the typical, uh, you know, kind of all-star lineup of Southern rock is the two at the top of the mountain. Those being Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers Band, and then you've got a lot of kind of minor players that kind of trickle on down from those two. But if you compare those two bands, they have almost nothing to do with each other. Yeah, The Allman Brothers Band are a blues-based jam band, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and Leonard Skinner is a tight rock band, like a hard rock oh, band. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't, I, you know, I don't think, 
nowadays, the band that goes around and call, tours and calls itself Leonard Skinner w- would probably classify themselves as like, yeah, we're Southern rock, man. But if you ask Ronnie Van Zandt, he's like, no, man, we're like the Who. We're like the Rolling Stones. We're a fucking rock and roll band. Yeah. You know, don't don't qualify me with the, you know, some geography shit. Just because like, we're from the South doesn't mean yeah. we have to be Southern. Yeah. And I don't think, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't think uh, I don't think Ronnie would would jibe to that to that description but also i think ronnie ronnie van zant the lead singer of leonard skinner who died in the plane crash back in 77 um you know leonard skinner's a very misunderstood band they are uh you know people when you talk about leonard skinner most people think you were talking about some backwards racist redneck shit right Whereas if you actually listen to Skinner's records, they are clearly hippies. Yeah. <laughs> like they are very clearly uh, hippies who despise racism. And, and, and you know, the, they're one of their most famous songs, Saturday Night Special, is a call for gun control. Yeah. The, the chorus is now it's like handguns ain't ma- or handguns are made for killing. They ain't good for nothing else. So why don't we dump them people to the bottom of the sea? Like he's talking about throwing away your handguns because people get drunk and shoot each other with them. You know, you know, yeah. they're they're a band that was, you know, they continue to be misunderstood and not just by their critics, but by their fans, too, which is where you get into the issue. Yeah. Is that that type of person who would only hear, you know, oh, this is like some groovy shit, man. They're not listening to the lyrics. They're just like, woo, I'm shit faced, you know, which is fine. Yeah. But that's where they get that reputation. It has nothing to do with them. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, you could probably say that about most music today. Say that though. about a lot of bands, for yeah, sure. I mean, in, any pop music, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. It's like, uh, no, one's lis- no one's really listening to Taylor Sli- Swift's lyrics. Or yeah, like that's any- true. So. I don't mean to shit on her because I don't know anything about her. So I'm, I really, you know, if anybody's listening, don't tweet at me because I'm definitely stepping outside of my uh, <laughs> comfort, comfort, zone. comfort zone talking about Taylor Swift. But like... Even if you were to listen, what is there? You know? Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. But I think. But maybe like, there is. Hell, I don't know. I could be wrong. I haven't investigated Taylor Swift. I well, don't. You know. From everything I hear on the internet, just breakups. Yeah, which is cool, man. That's that's like the first subject anybody writes about. Whatever, yeah. write what you want. But my point is, like, it's you know, there's there's certain uh, you know, there's bands you can listen to that have a good ass groove, and then also have some shit to say. You know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's what most music that really gets popular does do that yeah i think so all right so we kind of got that so would you consider who would you consider today to be like that true country and that true southern rock like in today's bands that are still out there and touring and because i mean we'll get into stadium country in a minute yeah yeah of course Um, but i want to know what you considered like when you say like oh this guy's up and coming or like this band and stuff you know because yeah well the three the three names that always get brought out uh and uh are chris stapleton uh sturgill simpson and jason isbel those are like the three when people talk about like oh the new kind of outlaw quote-unquote outlaw country uh that's usually the three names they talk about now jason isbel uh was in my favorite band of all time the drive-by truckers okay uh they are from alabama uh, you know, they write songs about shit where I'm like, yeah, I know what liquor story is talking about. Like, you know, it's very regional to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've known Jason Isbell since, you know, I was 17 and he was 20. You oh, know? wow. Cause he joined the band when I think he turned 21 and I think I saw them for the first time maybe a year later. So yeah, I was probably, yeah, I was probably 17. He was probably 22. Maybe the first time I ever saw him, I've seen that band, I think 28 times. Oh, wow. I've seen that band more than 
Like I've seen them three times more than any other band I've seen a bunch, and I've they're, seen I've seen Ween like seven times. So they're so the second. They're your Dave Matthews. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, except good. Um, <laughs> no, they, I, I've seen them a bunch. So I just became I got so into them. I just became that kid who was at every show to for a long time to them, and uh, so I kind of just you know through by and by sort of got to know Jason Isbell a little bit just because he was the youngest guy in the band mm-hmm. and all the other dudes at the time were in their you know they're now in their 50s at the time they were in their 40s and he was in or you know they were in their late 30s and he was in his early 20s so they kind of like they would hang out on the bus and he would be the one just like walking around getting shit faced you know <laughs> so I remember him from the drinking days uh-huh, and nice. the coolest thing he ever did for me personally was we went there was this uh, bar in my hometown called the Sky Bar and it was about a 10 minute walk from my apartment and uh, this one, I was in college at Auburn and they were playing there and the show was 21 and up and I was 19. I was like, this sucks. And I was like, all right, let's go walk around and see if we can't find the band. And I saw Isbel sitting behind a dumpster behind the venue, like in a chair, leaned up against the dumpster, all fucked up, playing acoustic guitar and singing uh, Prince songs when I was walking <laughs> up, singing Purple Rain and shit like that. Uh, and I was like, hey, man, he's like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, you could tell he like recognized me, but he didn't, you know. He's a little too foggy to really know a little who fog- And I was like, hey, man. I was like, dude, the show's night- show's 21 and up. I really want to come. He's like, I'll put you on the list, man. He's like, what's your name? I was like, I'm Rivers. Yeah, we met in Tuscaloosa. All right. Yeah, I can remember that. I'll put- and I was like, there's no way we're on that list. So we showed up. He's like, I'm going to put Rivers plus two because I had two friends with me. And we show up and we got us on the list. That's awesome. We got in. Somehow he figured it out. We got in. And it was like one of the best shows ever. So I remember he left the band in 2007. Uh, but yeah, I've seen the guy a bunch. So anyway, I support that dude. My point is I support the shit out of that man. I think he is insanely talented. Uh, you know, he's gotten on this kick where he can write a funny song. He can write a, you know, a rocker. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's gotten real. He's perfected the art of like trying to make me cry every time. <laughs> uh, and after I moved out to L.A., hadn't seen him for a while, heard his two most recent records, which are called uh, Southeastern and Something More Than Free. And both of those records, man, if you haven't heard them, if you're listening to this podcast right now, get off your ass and get ready to cry a bunch because they're like the most like beautiful, touching, sad records ever. Wow. Uh, so there's him. Uh, Sturgill Simpson. Sounds like Waylon Jennings. We talked about him at the beginning of this mm. uh, thing. Yeah, he's yeah. he's amazing. What I've always what I've found really interested, especially once I found out about him, his first album was a pretty straightforward like outlaw red dirt country album. Yeah, and then that second album is like an, psychedelic. It's super psychedelic country. Yeah, and then he comes out with like a a blues country album after that. Like yeah. he just does three completely different albums. A, it sounds like a soul record. It really that's what I was saying. It sounds like Otis Redding or something. It's like this yeah. beautiful soul record that's also the way he talked about it was it's it's he had a kid he had his son uh like the week before his second album came out so he'd Mm -hmm. been like on tour and basically was just like felt that he you know hadn't been around enough so this record was just like everybody's expecting like oh what how's this dude that everybody's calling the savior of country music gonna follow up this record that's called meta modern sounds and country music what's he gonna do next and he's just like I'm going to write a love letter to my son, so fuck you guys. And just like makes this beautiful yeah. whole other thing uh, with uh, this. Uh, the centerpiece of the record is this cover of Nirvana's In Bloom. Oh, it's, it's crazy. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's If you read the YouTube comments, it apparently is the most divisive thing since the <laughs> Ghostbusters trailer and shit. That wasn't divisive. Everyone hated that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Third guy, uh, Chris Stapleton. Chris Stapleton was in a band called the Steel Drivers that I actually got to see around, say, 2005, 2006. 
uh, when they came through my hometown, they played at the Bourbon Street Bar, which is also where I'd seen Jason Isbell before he got famous. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, the Steel Drivers were dope. I never actually got any of their records. I just kind of went to the show because somebody was like, oh, yeah, I'm going. It's supposed to be great. And we went. And it was awesome. Uh, but I never really followed up with them. And then Chris Stapleton, meanwhile, uh, I think at some point left that band and started writing songs for other bands. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because I know he's like, I remember when his first song came out, uh, when because he just came out with his first solo album. Right? Yeah, yeah. Traveler. Yeah. And I remember when that came out, I started hearing it. I was like, man, this is so good. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that. And then I saw the name Chris Stapleton. And I was like. That looks really familiar. Yeah. But for some reason, I can't put a name to any any other song besides what I'm hearing now. And yeah. then I go and look it up. It's like, oh, he was written like some of the best country songs in the last 10 years. Yeah. That, that's why I've heard of and him. And he looks like Hagrid from Harry Potter. Yes. <laughs> a blonde Hagrid. A blonde, slightly skinnier Hagrid. He did the, the duo performance with Justin Timberlake at the CMT Awards. Okay. That was great. To the point where I'm like, why is Timberlake sleeping on this country thing? <laughs> Come on. Justin Timberlake's the most infuriating person to a comedian because he can already dance. You know, he can act, he can sing. And then he goes on SNL and he's funnier than everyone else. Come on. He's just, be bad at something. And then the motherfucker gets up there and just sings, sings the shit out of some country music. You're like, all right, well, you're a shining star, aren't you? <laughs> you were just God's perfect specimen, weren't you? All right, I get it. Yeah. And this is why I do comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that record, he's just got the one record out um, of, you know, of any of them uh, that are going to go mainstream. It's going to be that guy. And it already yeah. happened because he won a bunch of CMT awards this year, which was kind of a triumph uh, for this sort of up and coming like rev- country alt, revival alt, alt country, which is the word that gets bandied about, uh, even though that's been which is terrible because it's more traditional and true country yes, than yes. any of the stuff today. hundred percent. Like yeah. I picked up an old I was at the record store and I found an old Time Life yeah. collection. It yeah, was yeah. 1952. Uh-huh. It's got old Willie, Patsy Klein, some, yeah. some old, you know, just every a whole, whole bunch of old stuff. And I put yeah. that on and it's like, oh no, this is what country's supposed to sound like. Right, this is what right. the guys who are like my favorites today, this is what they sound like. This yeah. is where they came yeah, from. If you played, you know, chilling on dirt road and listening to some George. If you played that shit for Hank Williams, he'd puke in his fucking suit. Like Dude, that new Luke <laughs> Bryan song. Like he's got a couple songs that I like. Oh Christ. That guy is the, Oh my uh, God. That new, the new song, like, like literally it's the most stereotypical song for a country thing. It's like, all I need is a, all I need is a my list? truck. <laughs> yeah. The chorus is like, all I need is loving some beer, having a good time, and right. I'm having a country life. Like, oh, oh dude. Yeah. Like, so that's what I call list country. I don't know what else to call it, because if you listen to that kind of music. It's stadium country. It's a list. It's a list of things. It's, yeah. It has nothing to do with emotion. It has, it has, it's just like, got my skull ring on my jeans and a big old truck. I got a plug in my jaw. And it's you're just like, what do you, what do you think about love in the universe? Think about some real shit. No. Well, I mean, that's the thing. That's why, like, I heard probably six months ago, Stadium Country. Yeah. And I think that's the best thing. Because you know what? It sells out stadiums to a bunch of drunk people who just want to yeah. party. But that's been a thing. Like, Garth Brooks still has some attachment to, like, 
you know, he's stadium yeah. country. He swings around on a vine like Tarzan and shit. Yeah, I mean, there are the guys. I mean, there are obviously. But he's not wrapping vine. lists of things. Like, Friends in Low no. Places, as much as a Garth Brooks is a sellout meathead dope, Friends in Low Places is a great song. Yeah. No one. No one cannot go, if that song comes on, you're telling me you're not standing going, you know, and ruin your black tie affair as you slowly rise. Yeah, that uh, song is great. You know, yeah, you can't and not dance to that. Even song. a broken clock is right twice a week, twice a day or whatever. But the, the, the Luke Bryan thing is, yeah, they're not. Ugh. I would have to say the only song I like from him is Wasting Bullets. See, I don't um, actually know. I just hear a new one on the radio. I'm like, well, nope, not this time. This is this is what I think it's from like his second album. Oh, okay. Out of like the eight he puts out a year. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, he, um, I mean, it's just this like kind of like dirty sound. It's like just yeah. dirty guitar. And it's just literally like I'm out here hunting. There's no deer, so I'm getting drunk and shooting the cans. That's what the song's about. Like, okay. Like, see, like, yeah. I like, get it. Th- th- yeah. That's funny. That's it's, you fine. Know, like, it's kind of like a, almost like a Toby Keith type song. Like. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. I think he's kind of, I don't know. I don't know who to put the blame on. I, I tend to keep, I tend to blame Toby Keith for all of this, sort of starting the whole party off with, uh, brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue. That's the, the famous one where he says, we'll put a boot oh, in your yeah, ass. It's yeah. the American oh, way. Oh, yeah. I mean, which if you back don't... to back to Southern Rock real quick. One of my favorite lines in Southern Rock, favorite being in the way that uh, the final deletion is my favorite wrestling match <laughs> of all time, is uh, is when uh, the version the band that is called currently calling itself Leonard Skinner, uh, which has I believe one original member of the real oh, band. Uh, they are garbage, uh, but they're still kind of fun to go watch live. But they do have a song that was on their record from 2004, uh, and the song is called, I think it is just called Red, White, and Blue, and the chorus is, my hair is turning white, my neck's always been red, my collar's still blue. Uh, that's the, and then he goes, we've always been here, uh-huh. trying to bring a tune to you. But there's this line where he says, uh, we love our families, we love our kids, you know, it's love that makes us all so real. That's where we're at. If you don't like it, you can get the hell out. <laughs> Which is, you know, if cognitive dissonance had a noise that it made, it would be that. the It's love that makes us all so real. Get the hell out, you liberal hippie. Which is what the, the you know, that's that's what that's about. Oh, that's hilarious. But yeah, and he's so like, it's, it's Johnny Van Zandt. So it's Ronnie's brother just going, you know, we love our families. We love our kids. And you're like, oh, did Kid Rock write this? So, probably. Probably. They were hanging out a lot at the time. That yeah. was, that was, uh, that's right around the time he went country right somewhere around there yeah well he that was when he learned his circus trick which is uh the song uh, all summer long where he manages to pee on two graves at once uh <laughs> those being ronnie van zandt and warren zevon yeah uh, the, the mashup of sweet home alabama and uh werewolves of london yeah um but yeah man it's uh i forgot what we were talking oh yeah stapleton if uh, what i was gonna say if anybody's gonna break through it'll probably be him just because mm. jason isbel and sturgill are both so committed to staying weird as shit which is a good thing. Uh, well, you know. when you say puff and flower, yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't those, think there's going mainstream. Those guys aren't going to be, and that's. I don't think they give a shit. You no, know, they shouldn't be. I don't think they do. They've got. They've got. You know, I'll, I'll follow both of those gentlemen off a cliff gladly. They, they've got yeah. their legion, and I'm. I'm definitely in it for both of them. You yeah. know. But I feel like Stapleton, with the songs he's written, like some of the best songs he's written are still like more. Yeah, they tend to lean to the more pop, yeah, poppy side, but. 
he can still write. I mean, the record that he wrote is like a tr- more traditional country album. Yeah, and it's great. And it's winning all the awards. So I think it's a sign, like, stay how you are. I mean, hopefully he doesn't sell out. Yeah. But, I mean, if this is any any indication, it, I would say it's a trajectory to stay how he is or just do do something different that's not going pop. Yeah. Well, do you, do you know about, like, the original Outlaw scene at all? Not uh, not too much. So there's a great film that I recommend to anybody uh, called Heartworn Highways. That is a documentary, and if you can find the soundtrack, I actually found. I'm going to buy it soon uh, when I get my next paycheck. I found the soundtrack at Amoeba. Uh, okay. It's like one of my favorite movie soundtracks, one of my favorite films. It's this cinema verite, so there's no narration, there's no nothing. They just followed around all these guys, kind of in the early '80s. Uh, so the names that are most associated with what they call the outlaw country mu- movement are Towns Van Zant. Uh, David Allen Coe, Guy Clark, who just passed away recently, um, and Steve Earle, Steve Young, uh, those those kinds of people. And, okay. then, and then later, uh, Waylon and Willie and Merle and Johnny Cash, all those guys who were kind of pissed off with the Nashville system, all kind of joined in with this this weird outfit of guys who mostly lived out in the middle of nowhere in texas uh you know play that's they're, they're the people who put austin on the map essentially gotcha. so that's um, why like the new wave of it's being called like texas country yeah yeah exactly okay. so you've got uh yeah towns van zant uh you know probably the most like hard drinking of, of the bunch well maybe steve earl actually all of them were pretty hard drinking but uh <laughs> but yeah they uh they were kind of committed to this was a time in which uh you know much like now uh, which is why I think Jason Isbell and all these guys are kind of set to sort of burst the bubble over there in Nashville is because it's almost identical to what was going on in the late 70s where Nashville had decided like, oh, like the old ways aren't making money anymore, you know, and they started what is referred to now as a country politan. Uh, where you add in a string section and a horn section. So you're basically trying to build country music up to the point where it's no longer, you know, it's no longer country. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you add so much shit to it. And their whole thing was like simple dialing everything all the way down. Just one, one guy usually with an acoustic guitar, maybe a small, you know, maybe a small drum kit behind him. Yeah. Shit like that. And, uh, yeah. And that's kind of how, you know, that, that music sort of, uh, became alternative country. So the thing is it, the, the, the moral is it never actually overtook the thing it sought to overtake the thing that it sought to overtake just sort of evolved into what we have today, what we have today. Exactly. But you've always had running alongside Nashville country has always been outsider country music has always been, you know, the stuff that I, I tend to like, and every once in a while they'll come real close back together and then they'll merge back apart and they'll forget each other for a while. But you know, the closest it came, uh, for me anyway, was like Dwight Yoakam, uh, who was an outsider, uh, Speaking of L.A., he's from Kentucky, but very much modeled himself after Buck Owens and Merle Haggard. Mm -hmm. Tried to, you know, sort of took on the Bakersfield sound as as his own, but lived in L.A. and couldn't find an audience for his kind of music. So he joined the punk scene. Like, that's the thing people don't know about Dwight Yoakam. And the thing I only very recently found out uh, was he was best friends with John Doe and Xene from the band X. Who were, like, the most hardcore L.A. punk rock band. Yeah. They loved old country music. They loved Buck Owens. So they would, like, nerd out about that. And they would play dual shows together at the Whiskey back in the 80s. Oh, my God. I I could imagine being in that room. So I got to sort of relive the weird old person version of that last summer. Uh, KCRW had a concert in Century City that was Dwight Yoakam and X playing together. And X was like the opening band, and then Dwight Yoakam came on. And during X's set, 
here comes Dwight in his tight ass pants, dancing on the stage. Just you know, and X is over there, just going, blah, 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 you know, being X, and Dwight's yeah. just kind of plucking along in the background <laughs> in his cowboy hat. I was like, this is insane. And That's I amazing. looked it up. I was like, this is the craziest bill I've ever heard of. And then I looked it up. I was like, oh, they're like homies. Like they yeah. fucking started in the eighties in L.A. together. Like they were, you know, both like doing very different music but they were friends you know so that's that's his scene but he got very popular you know in the mid 80s and then a little bit into the 90s um and you know there's a few others that are that kind of blur that line between the traditional and sort of the new like george Strait is a guy that usually gets references like he's the mainstream guy that's okay to like you know i mean i love george Strait. yeah no i do too i love i love going through his old stuff yeah he's fantastic uh johnny cash when he mixed up with rick rubin Mm -hmm. uh you know and got you know, got nominated for all of these country awards. <laughs> and after years of nobody nominating him, Rick Rubin and Johnny Cash published that famous photo of him flicking off the yeah. camera that says Johnny Cash would like to thank the Nashville establishment for all of their help. <laughs> and that he put it in like the front yeah. page of like country music, you know, the country music review and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, so there's always like points where these two kind of parallel worlds will intersect a little bit, but for the most part, they stay separate and they're really, the, the difference couldn't be more clear nowadays. Because you have guys who have somehow turned this art form into just—it's a mill. It's just a mill. Yeah, it's it's a it's a total mill. Like you know, I don't know. I was gonna like in the way that Motown was a mill, except that was like they had like good songwriters. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Motown was a different kind of mill. Yeah, although they have good song. That's the thing. They do have good songwriters. There's a lot. There's people who go to Nashville that are amazing on their own that go punch a clock every day and write songs. Yeah. And then they punch out the clock and then they go play their own. Chris Stapleton is a yeah. perfect example of a guy who was just like, all right, I'm going to write a bunch of songs because I know how to, I know how this game works, but I've got my own shit cooking in the corner. But that's know? the thing. It's figuring out how that game works. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it sucks because you don't get a lot of those guys up front, which is what you want. You want to just get, you want to find what you want to find. But it's so hard, especially when you listen to the radio. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't, I could tell you like the three artists that they play on a loop for eight hours endlessly on Flor- one. Hour. Florida Georgia line. Oh, God. Uh, just, Luke uh, Bryan, Jason Aldean. Uh, who are the women? Are the, the women at least good? Carrie she, Underwood. Yeah, she's she's good. I like yeah. some of her songs. Um, Do they still play Taylor Swift or is she, she too pop now? No, she's she's full pop. They, she they'll, play, that, they'll play her first album still. Yeah, she had that one song, uh, Mean, that I fucking loved. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I'm not I'm not the biggest Tadolf Switler fan. Tadolf <laughs> Switler. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not either. This was like a song I just heard because uh, it was just a fun fact. It was the, uh, it's the first song... Uh, to chart uh on on uh on a mainstream chart uh that features a six string banjo uh oh, wow. since old man by neil young oh wow so in old man there's the that part that's james taylor actually playing a six string banjo in that song oh that's the neil awesome. young song so that was 71 no six string banjo anywhere on the charts and then taylor swift is playing almost, I think she's playing that exact one that I've got hanging on the wall there, the Dean out, uh, uh, backwoods. And, and I was like, Oh shit, she's playing a six string. I was like, Oh, that's uh that's cool. So that was why I took note, but the song's actually pretty good too. It's like a fuck you to your high school. <laughs> the, the, the chorus is like one day I'll be living in a big old city and all you'll ever going to be is mean or something like that. I was like, that just sounds like pop punk. <laughs> yeah, it is pop punk. It's very pop punk. Yeah. You know, yeah. people don't, 
I don't think enough people give country credit for being the original emo. Oh, uh, totally. Music. Totally. If you listen yeah. to Hank Williams, you know, the silence of a falling star lights up a purple sky. And as I'm, I wonder where you are, I'm so lonesome I could cry. That is some emo shit, dude. <laughs> I mean, you'd think, I mean, hey, you ask anyone who like doesn't really listen, what's country about? Uh, I lost my job. I lost my wife. All I got is my dog and my truck. Like, yeah, yeah. everyone will tell you the stereotype is sad. Right. But then it's also like, what's pop punk about? It's like, well, I lost my wife i lost my girlfriend i lost my shoes like it's the same thing it's just uh you know the government doesn't respect me as a person (laughs) it's just you know it's it's petty grievances from the working class man just like rap too that 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 saturday night sunday morning shit i was talking about exactly that's the dichotomy of rap music too oh yeah it's that's and it's for that reason when you ask a lot of people like what kind of music you listen to what do they say everything but rap and country and yeah. it's because those those two musics are the music of their respective working class. Mm-hmm. It's all about drinking and murder and doing <laughs> drugs and hard living and hard times and you know de- sitting in the you know sitting in an alley eating pork and beans and dining with kings and queens shit like that versus mama and Jesus and your hometown and where you came from and staying true to yourself. That's the that is the dichotomy of both of those kinds of music yeah. where you listen to it, it's like this is party music and this is introspective sadness yeah. you know uh, the I good stuff anyway the yeah. good the, the hip hop I love and the country I love are both about this, that those yes. things yeah I would I am on the same page as yeah. you because I like one of my best friends loves Drake yeah yeah I hate Drake yeah I mean I can't yeah. stand him and yeah. then, then I'm like dude I was playing the new Kanye album in the car with him the other day. And he was, I was like, he's like, ah, oh, turn this off. This new album is weird. I was like, I love this. Uh, the song with Kendrick's about to come up. He goes, yeah. oh, Kendrick sucks. And what? I was just like, get out oh, of my car, on. you Drake-loving oh, hater. Get out of here. Get out. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we talked a lot about country. So yeah. Southern rock today. Because, I mean. They've merged. Country and very, Southern Very rock. simply, they've merged. As a matter of fact, listen to the radio mm-hmm. now. Oh, yeah. Everything's got a rock beat to it. All country music has... Country has absorbed, weirdly enough, uh, believe it or not, country music has completely absorbed post-grunge. So, you know, Nickelback, Disturbed, all that shit that was popular in the mid two or the early 2000s, that sound, has, that sound and that kind of... I like Nirvana, but I don't get it, uh, <laughs> which is how I classify all of those things. Where it's just like, yeah, man, I love Nirvana. I mean, I don't like gay people at all, but Nirvana's great. And you're like, but he was uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I have never heard it described like that. That's what it is. That if is, you listen to all fantastic. that shit, it's like, I love Nirvana. I don't understand what he was all about. Yeah. Uh, I didn't understand that he was on pills off and on all day. And right. that's what half this is about. That's what Nickelback is. It's, I lock your pants around. Your, you know, that shit yeah. where you're like, okay. Oh, God. Yeah. Kurt, Kurt's rolling, man. Uh but uh yeah you've got that sound where are those bands now they've all made country records you didn't know it because they weren't they weren't like big or anything but no. nickelback made a country record you Did know they really oh yeah yeah they were you know i'm gonna be a rock star like oh you know. i didn't think that was a, i thought that i had i mean i always known that like there's obviously the country influence the just because it all comes from the same area it's all like coming closer and closer together and then the most recent one probably the most egregious one and you know they're they're a band that whatever but steven tyler from aerosmith uh, he made a country record that is shocking is it good <laughs> 
No, <laughs> no, you're so just shocking in a bad way. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's scandalous. It's you're, shocking that he made it. You're like, wow, wow. Also, the video uh, of it is, uh, it's it's crazy. He's he's had so much plastic surgery. The fact that he's still able to grow a mustache is crazy. You know that like plastic surgery oh, yeah. facial hair. Oh, yeah. That like weird like where you're like. Ugh, either one or the other man so either. he looks like that skittle portrait of him from the commercial <laughs> <laughs> he does yeah uh he even made a country record because there's no more you know the the kind of hip-hop electronica kind of sound is so prevalent now yeah. that the only shit on the radio that you hear that has drums a bass and a guitar is country, country music. music yeah then and it's so that's just that's what's happening now so i guess bands are either and you can hear it you can hear it in every band from like the mid-2000s whether you like them or not you you know like a band like you know fallout boy listen to their new shit it's all electronica oh yeah that or you take a band like nickelback it's like oh they sound more country now so it's just they're like at some point the roads kind of diverge with rock where it's like okay i can either go super pop or i can go super country yeah so i guess that's why i like punk music so much i just i've never liked it's unchanging yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i've never really liked the radio too much yeah i mean back in my hometown you'd hear some really good stuff yeah but like k like when you put on like uh 98.5 on like sunday nights at like 10 and they have that the guy that comes in he has really high voice but then he just plays nothing but like la punk and everything oh see that'd be dope i haven't i haven't actually the only radio station I list out, listen to out here is K-Day because it's all uh, – they refer to it as old school hip-hop, which is actually just shit that was popular when I was in high school. <laughs> so I'm like, like everything before I'm like, guys, like 2000, 2005. 2005 is not old school. <laughs> For the love of God, old, R. Kelly is not old school. But they all they do play like you know Biggie and Naughty by Nature. and like They play – it's funny because it's the West Coast, but they play way more Biggie than Tupac. So that's all I listen to because the rest is – or maybe, you know, maybe KCRW or the news, but it's it's so damn – the country the, the landscape of, of radio in general is so damn depressing yeah because uh, i did it for years you know i worked in uh when i was in college i worked at the campus radio station and it was the best thing i ever did uh i loved it because college radio you can play a jimmy rogers song from the 30s and then you can play kendrick lamar and there's no one to stop you from doing yeah that. And, and honestly most people are like oh i really like that they're like, well, they just okay. play whatever yeah so we uh you know i by the time i graduated i had a one-year gap between the time I graduated college and the time I started doing stand-up, where I was just like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And it never occurred to me, like, hey, dummy, the only thing you liked doing in college was talking into a microphone. Maybe go <laughs> try to do that, you know? Yeah. And when I figured it out, I was like, oh, th- duh, this was the thing. Yeah. But, yeah, I was by the time I graduated college, I was probably doing about 10 hours a week on the radio station. Like, I did That's the awesome. news show. We had a country show. Uh, this is where I kind of got an appreciation for all this music, by the way, was my friend Adam and I uh, used to geek out because our grandfathers both loved Marty Robbins. Uh, Marty Robbins, uh, for those listening, if you don't know, uh, I assume you're all nerds and have seen the season fa- series finale of Breaking Bad. Uh, <laughs> when Walter gets in the car in New Hampshire and starts it up and tries to starts to drive back to New Mexico, the tape that's in the in the deck, the out in the West Texas town of El Paso, mm-hmm. that's Marty Robbins. Okay. If you're listening out there and you want just a starter for Marty Robbins, the great thing about him, he made a billion records. Only one of them is perfect. And it's <laughs> called Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. And he dies. He kills himself in every song. Every song is like this little miniature story about some gunfighter getting killed or getting hung or 
yeah, he dies a bunch. He gets trampled by cattle in one of the songs. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. So he's really, like, out in the Old West. Like, he yeah. essentially made, like, here's a bunch of stories of Old West times. Pretty much. Yeah, the first song in there is called Big Iron. Uh, and he's talking about, uh, you know, this this uh, Texas Ranger with a big iron on his hip, talking about yeah. his gun. Oh, it's great. So me and my friend Adam were just geeking out because our grandfathers used to listen. Both of ours just, for whatever reason, that was the tape that was always in the tape deck. So we're sitting back, you know, we were kind of geeking out about that. And we both worked at the college radio station. We were doing, like, you know, rock and roll shows. We were playing, you know, punk rock and classic rock and all that fun shit. And uh, we started geeking out about Marty Robbins one night. And we started talking about all of the other kind of country stuff that we liked you know we liked a lot of uh like the grateful dead famously mm-hmm. did a bunch of country stuff you know never <laughs> never a full-on country record but they had definitely had country songs which we loved um the flying burrito brothers Graham parsons you know we just kind of got into it and i was like we should just start doing a country show and so we came up with this idea where and it just so happened at the time the administration had sent us this um list of words you know, they, they send you the words you can't say for whatever reason. I'll never understand this. They also sent us the words that you're allowed to say, <laughs> which you're like, don't do that. You dummies leave some mystery. Yeah. So it was like, you could say ass damn bitch. Like there was a list of words that you could say. And so of course we were like, all right, we're calling the show hot damn. So the show was called the hot damn radio hour. And we did the fucker in character. That's awesome. So we were every Sunday at five o'clock. We go from five to seven and uh, we would come on like, all right, everybody, you listening to the hot damn radio hour here on WGL 91.1 Auburn University's student operated radio station. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to be hearing from Miss Patsy Klein and I guarantee you're going to love it. But right now, this is Johnny Cash with the record of the old 97 hot damn. And that was the show. And we did that shit for four years and it was the greatest thing ever because we would get calls from jail those were <laughs> that was the shit man I'm, when you're doing live radio and that phone lights up and you pick it up and goes this is a collect call from the lee county correctional facility you're like do you accept the charges you're like yes i do <laughs> i need to hear what this guy's got to say and so i've been doing the voice the whole time like oh man you know that was great you know i've been doing that right and uh then the guy would get on the the line and he'd be like, oh, man, I love this. And he would actually have the voice That's <laughs> that I'd been doing the whole time. But yeah, we got calls from jail. The guy who called from jail was just like, oh, man. I was like, do you have any requests? He's like, oh, I don't know, man. I just want to tell you all we're doing a hell of a job. They let us. Uh, so they we figured out it was such a cool thing if we got because it was literally a captive audience. Yeah. It was people who were in jail. <laughs> so the the guard would come by from what I gather once, like in the afternoon and again in the evening and they had just a radio that they would cut on on Sunday nights, but they only had they would only it would be piped into all the jail cells on the row, but it would only be the one station. So the guard would sit there and start turning the knob, and then he would hit each station. And when they heard a song they liked, the j- everybody in jail would go, "All right, stop this one," and then that was it for like the next couple hours. He'd come back and change it later, but that was going to be it. So if they landed on you. And you knew that they were listening in jail. Dude, we would shout them out the whole show. That is awesome. It was the fucking greatest. Because, you know, there's no one there to say no to. Yeah. Like, college radio is the best. It's the best format. It's the, it's the best. Uh, you know, we were working. The, we, our station is a 5,000-watt station. So we could be heard into Georgia. Like, it was a pretty powerful, yeah. you know, station. Uh, but, yeah, we'd get calls from jail. We'd get calls from people out in the county just being like, holy shit. Because, you know, we would play 
the stuff that we've been talking about, like yeah. the, the old school, you know, Hank Williams, Jimmy Rogers, Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, uh, you know, Loretta Lynn, uh, Tammy Wynette. And then also this thing that I've been talking about, this sort of parallel, uh, you know, so in the, in the early 90s when a lot of country was just bullshit, there were all of these great punk rock bands who all decided to make country records. So you have like Uncle Tupelo and the Jayhawks and the Beat Farmers. Like there's a bunch of what, you know, the first wave of what they call alternative country was actually just like weird punk rock bands from the Midwest who got a bunch of Hank Williams records and decided like, oh, let's do this, I guess. And so we started playing all that stuff and people loved it. And it was like, it was the best, you know, it was the best time of my life. Uh, that, that's amazing. Doing that shit. So that's where I kind of got into all this stuff is me and my friends would just come in with like escalatingly more and more kind of ridiculous country records were just like this is the country shit i've ever heard in my life where it's like oh no i found a guy who lives under a porch and only <laughs> recorded three songs in 19 1917 and you're like oh yeah well i found a guy who was actually breathes water in a swamp and you're like you know <laughs> we would just try to get the one i found that i loved there was a there's a box set that you can get called people take warning murder ballads and disaster songs 1914 to 1929 or something like that oh jeez it's, it's three discs uh just to give you an idea tom waits wrote the 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 forward <laughs> uh and it's it's three discs uh the first disc is uh man versus machine the second disc is man versus nature and the third disc is man versus man <laughs> and so there's the man versus machine is all about train train wrecks the wreck of the old 97 and casey jones and uh you know like first all, automobile wreck yeah stuff. wreck on the highway uh there's like the, the first airliner crash they wrote a song about stuff like that uh second disc man versus nature all about fires and floods uh if you know the song when the levee breaks the the led yeah. zeppelin which is a hundred percent ripped off of a song by memphis Minnie where she's just going, well, if it keeps on raining, the levee's gonna break. Like, that is straight up stolen from, like, you know, the 1930s in New Orleans, yeah. talking about the twenty the flood in 27. Uh, and then the third disc, Man vs. Man, is all murder ballads, which is, like, this sort of interesting genre, subgenre of country music where, you know, back in the day, there was no, there wasn't really news like that. Like, so the way news of murder traveled was there were guys who would write songs where it was like, you know, like there's the Bob Dylan song, the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll. Yeah. That's a, sort of a nod to those old murder ballads. Cause they would all have titles like that. Like the low, you know, the lonesome death of, you know, Hattie may, you know, Theresa, you know, the tragedy of Mrs. Whatever. And it would just be these guys just going, you know, talking about the murder, talking yeah. about who did it, you know, the, you know, how quickly they were caught, when they were hung, it's just these like highly informational more than anything <laughs> songs. And you're just like, this is the most fascinating, you know, cause I'm a history buff. So a lot of this music to me is so cool because it's like, you can't hear, you can't hear what the Roman empire sounded like. Yeah. You know, you can't hear medieval times. You can't hear ancient China. You can hear the great depression. Yeah. Anybody listening, get on YouTube. You have the greatest resource in the world. You can hear the desperation in people's voices. You can hear the way that, you know, actions taken by governments and, and, and powers higher up affected poor people back in the day. It's this very populist medium. And with something like that, it's just, it's, it's infinitely fascinating to me anyway. You know, I get it. Some people hear it and they're just like, I don't get this. I'm like, it's fine. I'm sorry. 
You don't have to. It's fine. You know, that's fine. You can like whatever you want. But all these people are dead. They don't need your money. <laughs> they don't. They didn't. They died. They're like Van Gogh, man. A lot of them. They nobody knew who yeah. they were until Led Zeppelin stole their shit in the sixties. Seriously, and their families are still suing them. Like Led Zeppelin is still in court a bunch all the time with these families, descendants of of blues musicians who they ripped off, and not just Led Zeppelin. I don't want to make because I love Led Zeppelin, but I don't want to oh, make yeah. it seem like it was just them. It yeah. was most rock bands most english rock bands yeah um, well because they had never really heard it and they're like no oh, no one over here is gonna know that but once it gets popular in yeah. america it's like uh okay well that's why it was the english i mean you know and i this is why i i think the uh the english blues tradition is so interesting is that they took this music that's you know i think objectively a beautiful music the yeah. blues is you listen to it it's it's gonna affect you uh when you hear it but there was so much racial and like political bullshit in America that when people heard it, they're like, well, this might, this might affect me, but what does it say about my whiteness that I would like this music, you know? Yeah. So, uh, most of those blues records, it's the reason that you've got, you know, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, cream bands like that emerging from these port cities like London, like Liverpool is because a lot of those ships would pick up those blues records in places like Mobile, Alabama, places like Savannah, Georgia, New Orleans, Louisiana, take those ships all the way across, unload, you know, all of the things that they got from, from America, but then there would always be a big ass crate of Sunhouse records, a big crate of Robert Johnson records. And all those British kids, white British kids would hear these records and not have the racial bullshit attached to them. They, it, yeah. it, it said nothing about them that they were listening to this music. It was just good music, which is what it is, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, you get all those, you get all those bands without all that shit attached. And, uh, yeah, and then they all start copying it, and then that's that's when you get you know the animals and the stones and the be- you know the Beatles to a lesser extent. Uh, they were more kind of pop uh, oriented, but yeah, still. Um, but yeah, man, Led Zeppelin, uh, Led Zeppelin, all those bands kind of ripped off, <laughs> ripped off all those guys, and now they're still their families are now going after them, which is good. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. Yeah, let's end uh, it with uh, uh, their families are going after them. Good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you want to get some plugs in? Uh, yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Rivers Langley. Uh, listen to my podcast every Tuesday. It's called The Goods from the Woods. You can find us on Twitter at The Goods Pod, uh, Facebook.com slash The Goods Pod. And uh, yeah, that's it. Awesome, man. So, yeah, at the end, I'll do an outro. So just tell me what song you want me to play then, and I can play it play it out for everyone. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, the song I would like you guys to hear is, uh, it's the, I think might be, so do you know the song Jolene by Dolly Parton? I might if I heard it. Okay, so Jolene uh, is one of my favorite songs ever written, and it's about Dolly Parton saying, Jolene, I'm begging of you, please don't take my man. And she's basically saying, like, look, you're hotter than me you could easily take this guy away from me. Please don't do it. It's the saddest like sentiment ever. And I've always loved that song. Uh, so you could close out with Jolene. There's also uh, the, uh, what I consider the male equivalent of Jolene uh, by Johnny Paycheck uh, called uh, don't take her. She's all I've got. And okay. uh, that song was actually written by a guy whose real name is Jerry Williams. Uh, who's a soul singer who performs under the name Swamp Dog. Uh, <laughs> That's and, awesome. And he is uh, considered the, the father of psychedelic soul. So you oh, listen to all cool. of his, his stuff. He used to perform under the name Little Jerry Williams. 
and then he transitioned over to Swamp Dog. His first record is called Total Destruction to Your Mind, and it is him just literally going, sitting on a cornflake! And it's just a badass soul record with the full-on the horn section, all that shit, and it is, he has been doing all of the acid when he wrote this record, and it's crazy. But he was also, you know, we mentioned there these guys who, they know how it works, they sit in Nashville, they write songs. This guy, Swamp Dog, who's like a black soul singer, hung out in Nashville and wrote one of the best country songs of all time, which is called Don't Take Her, She's All I've Got by Johnny Paycheck. All right, well, thanks for coming on, man, and we'll see everyone next week. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to that great interview with Rivers Langley. Go check out his podcast. I'm a huge fan of it. I listen to it every week. They just had their 100th episode this week, so great for them. Awesome to meet him and hang out with him. Hopefully I'll be on there soon, so I'll let you guys know if that happens. So time for my plugs. You can follow me at btjmpod on Twitter, facebook.com slash btjmpod. Or you can follow me personally on Twitter at flannelizcomfy or on Instagram at flannelshirtsinsummer. And you can also email the podcast at butthatsjustmyopinionpod at gmail.com. So since Rivers was talking about a specific kind of music, I let him choose the song this week, as you guys heard earlier. So the name of that song is Don't Take Her, She's All I Got, and it's by Johnny Paycheck. I listened to the song afterwards. Fantastic song. Absolutely loved it. Super glad he chose this one and glad I picked this one out of the two he gave me. If you're a country music fan, you're definitely going to enjoy this song. So thanks for listening again, and we'll see you next week for the start of Sports Month. Well, I said, friend, don't take her, she's all I've got. Please don't take her love away from me. I'm begging you, friend, don't take her, she's all I've got. She's everything in life I'll ever need. She is life's when I want to Everything to me in life that life can give She's my water when I need a drink She's the first thought in my mind each time I try to think Let me tell you now, friend Don't take her, she's all I've got Please don't take her She's the only thing in life to me that's really real She is love She's all the love I know She could kiss the ground